0: find yourself a coach or mentor that has made all these mistakes to get to where they're at. That way they can eliminate the amount of mistakes that you need to make in order to get yourself there, right? Like it's just a speed shortcut for you to get yourself to the top by surrounding yourself with people who've been there before, have gone through the trials and tribulations, and then can teach you how to avoid those things.
1: This is where you're meant
0: to be, like I know it. I've never been- My best self is better than every single person who's gonna walk on that platform at night. Gosh, man, that was... It a moment to change my life, man. Work harder than everyone else and just keep going. Get up and do it again and again and again.
1: The journey to a better you starts right now. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Better Than Yesterday. I'm your host, Angelo Kelly. On this week's show, I'm joined by Dr. Alex Stewart, a physical therapist, Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner, and a lifelong athlete. Alex ended up finishing his playing career out at Widener he played football there played a bunch of sports in high school and now is on the physical therapy side of things helping people come back from injury and become better athletes Um, ran into Alex at a local weightlifting meet really enjoyed our conversation there as soon as I talked to him I knew he was going to be a great guest on the podcast we talked about a bunch of stuff didn't really have any notes written down kind of got all over the place and these are the podcasts that I enjoy the most honestly just kind of bouncing ideas off each other and one thing that i think alex is really good at clearly knows the science and the textbook side of things but he also knows how to explain things really well in a you know just the most basic form possible which i think most of us need so i took a bunch away from this one if you guys get to the end of it you enjoy it you took something away from it just please share it out on your instagram story shout us out at better than yesterday pod and i hope you guys enjoy the episode Yeah, it's, I feel like it's very hard in the beginning to kind of find your voice and find what works. A lot of times it's just copying other people and realizing the more you do it, you can't copy people and you're not going to be a good version of that person. But it's just, you know, you kind of have to see what works and how it flows. Yeah, I I think like I listen to like you always hear like the big stars in Hollywood and like I listen to like a lot of podcasts.
0: Like my favorite are like I'll listen to like comedian podcasts and like kind of hear that ba- their backgrounds and how they kind of climb through the ranks and a lot of them are like starting from like you know making ten dollars for hours and hours of work and then they work their way all the way up and you know big thing when they get to hollywood it's always like well just be yourself right and then you'll be a star be yourself find your voice nobody ever knows what that means right but i think like kind of the 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 thing that i found from everybody who talks about that is literally just Don't try and mimic somebody else. Don't try and be somebody else's voice because everybody just wants you to be yourself. And then at the end of the day, like it's the easiest for me to go out and do my job or go out and do these things and talk if I'm not trying to imitate somebody else's voice. There's always going to be somebody out there who wants to listen and has similar interests to the things that you do, right? so with your podcast the way that you do your podcast don't be like a joe rogan don't be like a you know somebody else out there right like be be angelo and do your podcast because guess what there's people who enjoy the same kind of things you like to listen to they enjoy listening for an hour or however long your attention span is they want to do things the way that you do you just have to be your own self be your genuine self and people will kind of gravitate towards that
1: yeah it's funny with the comedians too i feel like people I mean, they kind of live this wild lifestyle and people think like, oh, that's what I need to do to be successful. Maybe I'll smoke a little weed and try to do a podcast and you're probably not going to be funny and it's probably going to be really dumb if you do that. If you haven't been doing the 10 years of work that it took to get to that point, you're probably going to be a really bad version of that.
0: Yeah. Well, with the comedian thing, it's like people think like, oh, they're just getting paid to go up there and, you know shit talk each other and make jokes and this and that but you know it's the same thing with like my job like one of those guys wouldn't look at like what we do with coaching and training and be like oh that's easy i could just jump into that right like it shouldn't be the same thing going that way either like those guys are professionals in conversation keeping attention knowing when to put timing into jokes being able to handle you know smoking drinking and doing a show and late nights like there there should be just because it looks fun and easy doesn't mean it is fun and easy and that's that's the same thing I think about with like coaching training nutrition is that I see a lot of people with like, you'll see like a nutrition coach. Right. And they're like, Oh, I've been through a nutrition coach. It's easy to just get my macros and tell people to eat healthier. But when somebody does just try and like downplay that profession and jump into it, they realize like, Oh crap, like this is actually a lot more in depth and harder than I actually thought. So I think the big message is like, you know, be yourself, one, but then like don't always just look at things from the outside, and be like, oh, that's easy because they make it look easy. True professionals make the hard work look easy.
1: We saw uh Bill Burr, I think it was last year, but it was really cool to see because it was early on in his tour and the way he was talking on stage he was actually saying like oh that didn't work here and he was work. you could see him working through the set and he wasn't filming his special for a couple of months down the road so to kind of hear him talking and be like oh I just lost all the women right now and I don't think he was doing it intentionally but it was like I could tell because I've listened to Rogan a lot and just hearing the process that they go through telling jokes and realizing oh this fits better here and I need to change this up but to actually watch them do it in real time was really cool.
0: Yeah, it's 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 impressive the way that they kind of break down the jokes and the levels of the the way that they might say certain words or the timing of certain things or even if they take that same joke and just move it to the beginning of the show or the end of the show, it's impressive like the amount of detail that they put into just all the intricacies of, of wordplay. Right. And, you know, in some aspect of that, like I've taken that back to like some of my things too. Like, okay, how do I like input certain, you know, activities of my coaching in certain places? Oh, that didn't work. But if I do that same thing maybe and say it this way, or maybe if I put it in the beginning, like, Oh bam, it worked. Like it's, that's what true professionals are with everything. Just you know, taking those those little basic habits that you do and just mix matching them, and kind of playing it from there. But that's the big thing why I love the comedians because you can you can really see that intricacy in something so simple as just wordplay.
1: Do you feel like in physical therapy there's a big emphasis on talking to people? Is that something that's brought into formal education, or is something that you really have to work on once you get out into the field?
0: Yeah. I mean, in in school, they'll teach you like the basics of, you know, what questions to ask or interrogate people when they come in the door, right? Like they'll teach you the things that you should ask. That way you can get a diagnosis, the things that you should ask that way to make sure that you're safe with treatment. But my biggest issue with the PT field in regards to communication, because I've gone back and been like a uh, adjunct professor for some of their practice practicals. So for example, like you'll have a student and their test will be to treat a patient and I'm that practice patient, right? And they have to interview me and they have to talk to me and then treat me. Every time that I've ever gone in there and I understand that they're students but their conversation is very robotic, right? Like, do you have pain today, Mr. Stewart? Uh, Is your pain zero to 10? Like there is no like flow back and forth of conversation. It's just running down a script of what they have to say. And I get it, like as a student, they're learning the foundations of things that you have to ask. But I think once you get out into the field, it's something that you really have to learn to kind of grow yourself, grow your practice and grow the way that you treat. Right. Because, you know, I, what I've found over the past couple of years is the conversational aspect is probably the most important in how you're going to get somebody better. Right. Like you can be the best coach. You can have all the best techniques, but if you don't know how to talk to the person in front of you, or if you don't know how to differentiate the people in front of you and how to frame your message, you're just going to get lost because they're not going to understand what you're saying right so communication is everything and i think that that's something that really more people outside of the field or once they graduate really have to focus on in order to kind of take that next step to being a better clinician
1: yeah that's interesting because i mean when when i go to a physical therapist i kind of just want like the injury and when's it going to get better and what what do i need to do to get better and I don't really care about the science behind why the muscle is firing this way. And that's interesting to some people. Obviously, you've gone super deep on that, which we can definitely get into. But for the everyday person, we want to know when's this going to heal, what happened, and uh, how can I get there? And that's basically it.
0: Yeah. and So, like, when I came out of school, I was lucky that I got entwined with a bunch of different people who went down this deep rabbit hole of, like, the biomechanics and talking with all these fancy words and doing all these different things. And then when I came out, I would try and spew that on my patients. And then what you would realize is you just get people with like those deer and headlight, like wide eye, you'd start missing the boat on like what you are doing. So what I have really tried to do, and I think this is the hardest part about learning new things and having like a, like higher education is being able to take that and dumb it down. Right? So what I've really been trying to do is only give people the basics of what they want to know, right? Like what's wrong, when's it going to get better? And now if I say like, Hey, I think it's just an issue here in the front of your shoulder. Now, if you ask me a question following up, well, why do you think that? I'll give you a little bit more, right? Like I'll give you like, oh, well, maybe I think it's like a tendonitis or I think it's part of your rotator cuff. And then if you ask why, or where's that from, or how's it go, then I start peeling back the layers of the onion to give you more and more instead of just like dumping a fire hose on you and spraying you with all this information until you drown, I'm just gonna give you little bit by little bit as you start showing more interest and wanting to learn more. Right, So I think that's the, the hardest part is taking those difficult things, boiling them down into very simple topics for people to understand, and then if they want to learn more, give them more, but don't force your knowledge on the people.
1: I like that. I'm reading uh, Mastery by Robert Greene right now, and in it, he talks a lot about social intelligence. So no matter what your message is, if you are condescending or if you can't get it across the right way, no one cares. And Yeah. Uh, It's something I wish I would have learned in college just because I was and I've been opinionated on social media and thought like I I need to get my my stuff out there. And, you know, now looking back, I'm like, wow, I really didn't do that in the right way and didn't read my audience. didn't And I mean, obviously, you're going to make mistakes and people aren't going to like you regardless of what you post. But but a lot of times it is about learning about people and. I mean, I think that's super important, especially in a field like physical therapy where you're really trying to get people better. But like you said, a lot of times it's what you say is really going to – and the mindset behind it is really going to help people the most.
0: 100%. I mean, knowing your audience and then putting the message out to the people that you're talking to is going to be the most important, right? Because if you – you know, in the beginning when I was just spewing all this stuff on the social media, right, and just throwing out biomechanics stuff, I, you know, I had a disconnect because then I realized, hey, most of the people that follow me are friends, family, or people that just want to seek help, right? Like, they don't know what I'm saying. Now, granted, like, I would show up to the gym and I might have a guy be like, yo, what's that word supination? And then he would be, like, all excited, be like, just, like, saying supination and, like, making a joke out of it, right? But, you know, everybody that would come up to me would be like, hey, you sound really smart. I don't know what the hell you're talking about, but cool. looks like you're doing well. Right. But like, as you start to dumb down that message and start really talking to the people, like having a voice for the people who are listening to you, you start getting more and more benefit, more and more feedback. Um, but on the other side of that, like when you are starting to talk down other fields or, you know, getting mad at people for using buzzwords, one of the guys in the field he's a personal trainer does really well with just putting down every other thing and crap talking and making a mockery out of all these different systems. And when you talk with this guy, he's doing it on purpose, right? Because he knows that on social media, there's a couple of things people love when to be pissed off and they love, they get more engagement by just seeing things that really drive them nuts, right? So he targets that and playing off of emotions, right? Because the first thing that all of us are going to feel are those basic emotions of, Hey, that post makes me happier. That really frustrates me. And then it's going to get more engagement, right? So he's doing some of these things at a deeper level, just to get you to be engaged, to fall to his page, to share it. And then maybe he might get some more customers that are going to jump on in, right? Because it's just built a bigger following, right? You think about that in like newscasting, right? Like when you look at a headline and it says something about a certain president or a certain buzzword in the field, they're just doing that just to grab your attention for a minute. That way they can sell you on something, right? So I do respect some of the, the social media like pointing fingers and all that. But granted, like we said earlier, like it's, it's not my voice. It's not who I want to be. And I feel like it, it just kind of makes a, you know, it kind of muddies the waters on the the person that you're trying to be.
1: I know we talked about, we went back and forth about Liver King on, uh, (laughs) on social media, but yeah, I mean, it's funny if you actually listen to, I listened to like an hour and a half interview that he did. 99% of the stuff he was saying is really good. He talks about, you know, being outside, getting some soil on your feet, getting sunlight, not eating processed foods. That's all great stuff. But, and then he goes and says, the first thing that you should do to improve your health is eat raw liver. Are there 99 other things that you can do before eating raw liver that are probably going to improve your health? Yes. But it's not going to, I mean, telling people, Hey, get outside for 10 minutes in the morning. When you wake up, you can't sell that. You can't put that in a pill and sell it.
0: So he's very smart and that goes right off of what we were just talking about. Like most of the things are things that all of us would agree upon, right? Like, Hey, let's get more sunlight. Let's eat better. Let's move more i'm all for that right and if you talk to 99 percent of people in the fitness field they're all for it too right but guess what like uh, you know mom of two kids who's just scrolling through facebook and looking for something you know if i just said like hey eat better and move more she's gonna be like oh, swipe see ya." but if you say hey eat liver and carry a 200 pound rucksack through the desert with all these muscles like yeah i'm all for that like that guy must be doing something right right so he's kind of on that same path of what can I do to get the buzzword for attention? And then you can see how successful he's become just by keeping that buzzword going. I'm sure if you sat him down at his core, he would be like, yeah, man, liver's just a small part of it. I just adopted liver king because it's really cool and, you know, it's catchy, but I think you should just eat more, walk more, work out more, and everybody would be healthy, right? But that doesn't sell.
1: Yeah, I mean, to a fair point, like, you, ha- you have to bring people in to sell stuff, too. Like, to when you get down to the core of it, maybe people are actually going to listen to him because he has that outrageous thing that maybe half the people who go on his social media will just look at it for the abs or whatever, but half the people might look at it and be like, oh, let me see what this guy's actually talking about, and then he starts talking about sleep, and he starts talking about, you know, shutting your Wi-Fi off at night, something that, you know, maybe it's going to help you, maybe it's not, but the more research you do into it, it's always a good thing. It's, so so i do think there is value in that but it's you have to be able to sift through it you have to be able to go to the right people and a lot of times the right people i mean the best strength coaches in the world probably don't even have instagram
0: yeah yeah but i think you know with that stuff too like you and i are probably very good at like sifting through the crap right and a lot of like very good coaches trainers people in the fitness field are very good at sifting through the crap right and i feel like that's one of the the biggest traits that I I try to get better at is always trying to just push away the hogwash or push away the things that, you know, are, are crap. Right. But I'll get so many questions and texts about, what do you think about this liver king? Should I start eating liver? Should I start doing this? Should I start eating bone marrow? Should I, you know, start drinking blood? And you're like, (laughs) Whoa, like, I think you should just, you know, you don't even get 2000 steps a day and you're not even eating two full meals that you cooked, right? Like, let's start there, right? So like a lot of the people who are sifting through this stuff that I get messages from on a daily basis are like not able to sift through, you know, what's been going on and, you know, sift through the crap. So that's probably like where my, the hardest thing for me is just, I wouldn't say the hardest thing, but I feel like my most important role is trying to help people who come to me sift through the crap right? Same thing with PT, you know, same thing with certain stretches that they're doing or certain workout programs that they're doing. How can I help my patients and clients sift through the crap that way that they can make better lifestyle choices and not get, you know, hung up on like these fad diets or fad exercises or fad programs.
1: Yeah. It, like, where do you recommend people go? Like, do you have to, maybe you are looking at those people. Like, how do you get a better understanding at what's BS and what's not?
0: Yeah. I mean, for me, it's like always looking at what the general theme and consensus of what most people are putting out. Right. Because if you have, if you look at 10, 20 accounts, right. And you start seeing the the commonalities between all of these people. Right. Then I would start saying like, Hey, these are the things that you should start to digest. Right. Like maybe putting like a, a red hot lamp on like your, your eyes to like increase some kind of vitamin E or something like that. Or that's probably not, you know what 20 people are saying i probably wouldn't do that thing right like let's chase all the things that everybody is kind of collectively coming to and start chasing those things um you know for me in the area like a big thing in regards to like nutrition stuff eating clean eating more whole foods um just trying to stay healthy through that a, a big person i think in the philly area that i always like to go to is like the rp diet guy right because you think He's somebody who does have buzzwords, does make things fun. He makes things enjoyable to watch. But there's always like a deep-rooted like, hey, we're going to eat cleaner with macros and we're going to do this things through Whole Foods, right? So like in a, in a local area, if I was thinking about somebody specific, it's him. But for me, it's always just trying to help people kind of sift through the stuff that they are looking at and pick apart pieces that might be helpful, right? Like another guy for me that always comes in in regards to PT is like the knees over toes guy, right? Everybody's always like, knees over toes guy, my knee hurts. I did this program, my knee still hurts. And it's like, okay, great. Like, it's not for everybody. Like, that guy sells because he's got very big buzzwords. But again, what can we find in his program that's going to help you instead of just thinking that this fad workout is going to help everybody,
1: right? I think it comes down to anything that you want in life is going to be hard. Like, if you want something, if you want to lose 100 pounds – you're not going to find the, the first program you look at is probably not going to be the best nutrition program for you. You're going to have to really look deep and maybe you take aspects from 10 different programs and that ends up working for you. But I mean, if you're trying to find the easiest thing, it's probably not going to lead to the best results.
0: Yeah. It's, it really comes down to, I think in everything in life is going to be energy management and consistency, right? Like hitting the not hitting these big, like three hour workouts a day or making sure all your meals are weighed in, but doing something that you can consistently hit throughout the week and figuring out ways how you can manage your energy, right? Because we think about the food that we put into our body is going to be increasing our energy input. You know, the kind of exercise that we do is our energy output. The way that you handle stress is going to be your, your are managing your energy as well workouts the way that you move your biomechanics the the shoes that you wear the clothes that you wear the people that you surround yourself are all about ways of managing energy expenditure right so i think being consistent on the way that you're putting energy into and out of your body and doing things and surrounding yourself with people in a way that you can do those things consistently over time is what is always going to yield the best results right it just has to be easily maintainable over the long haul right? And not just going through spikes and phases of these, you know, extreme activities that you're doing to try and make a health gain.
1: I tend to be a person who ends up overdoing it. So especially with energy management, like I got into jujitsu, I want to train that all the time. I go five days a week, I try to lift, and then I end up getting sick. And then it's Mm -hmm. like, if maybe if I cut that down to three in the beginning, and then I did Three days, three days, three days. That's nine sessions. Where hey, I did five this week, and then I can't go for two weeks, or I can't go for a week and a half. And it's like, I mean, you wanted, especially like, I mean, most people listening to the podcast, they want to work hard, they want to go to CrossFit, they want to crush it in the gym, they want to eat really good foods. But what you're gonna do over the long haul is way more important. And it kind of sucks to hear because I love working hard, like I love that feeling of being crushed on that and on the gym after the end of the workout i love that um i would say most of the population probably doesn't love that feeling but the people who are listening to this probably do and it's it's managing that like can you do that every single day no and it's probably going to be a big detriment if you try to do that
0: yeah and i think you know with that like there's always going to be like what your consistent levels are and how much you work out and how much you eat are all going to be relative to you, right? Because you might watch somebody online who may be, or you may be talking to somebody who is a CrossFit high level athlete, who's able to hit 14 sessions in a week, right? And then they're able to dial in their nutrition this way and sleep off this certain amount of hours. And that's perfectly fine for them, right? Like, and that's just their normal, right? Right. But you got to find what kind of works for you because if you start trying to tailor to their program or tailor to what works for them and now all of a sudden you're burnt out, you're hurt, you're in my office, not good, right? So finding that consistent balance of what you can control and then just slowly trying to increase that over time to increase your capacity to what you're able to tolerate I think is a hard thing to kind of keep your vision on the future of, hey, I'm only able to work out three times this week without my body blowing up how can I get that to five six how can I increase my tolerance to this kind of stuff instead of having these 12 week 12 sessions a week spike feel really good and then bam I'm not able to work out for three weeks because everything hurts right slow and consistent it's gonna win the race versus these high levels and spike of you know acute volume and then dropping off because you're hurt and not able to move again
1: one thing I've been talking about for a while is almost doing less research and like really just, I mean, tuning in, tuning into yourself, because everybody's going to tell you, hey, this is the optimal amount of times to work out. This is the optimal amount of calories you need to eat. And it's different for everybody. Everybody's anatomy, everybody's stress level, all these things play a factor. Like you said, the clothes you wear, the shoes you wear, that might be playing a factor on, you know, how your recovery is. And, I mean, we want to spend $30 on the whoop and just have – write to our phone. Hey, you're 86%. You're 26%. Maybe take a day off. And it's like a lot of times you just have to really listen. you need to listen to yourself.
0: Yeah. The whoop strap is interesting because everybody will come in and be like, Hey, my strain score is really low. Like it says that I, I shouldn't work out certain much. And I'm like, well, how do you feel? And they're like, well, I feel tired. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so what did we need that number for? Right? Like, Oh, my strain score is really good. I'm like, well, how do you feel? I, I feel good. Okay. Cool. Do we need to spend 300 some dollars a year for it to tell you something you already knew? Probably not. Right. Like a lot of these things just come back to how do you feel on that daily basis? Do you feel like you slept good last night? Cool. That might be a a good enough, you know, litmus test for you to be able to make a decision on how you want to train. Right. Like the whole, you know, you're measuring things, but what are you going to do with the information that you're measuring is always my big thing. Right. Because we kind of can get lost in the sauce by measuring all these things and having all these metrics and knowing all these numbers but at the end of the day what are they telling you and is it going to make an impact on the thing that you're going to do during the day right because if at the, if at the end of the day all i need to do with my recovery is say how do i feel zero to ten if i'm like feeling like a 10 out of 10 i feel good let's get after it right like oh if i'm feeling a one out of ten maybe i should start toning it back a little bit right um, like sometimes it's just as easy as how are you feeling, check in with yourself and learning how to know what your body feels like at certain times. Um, and I think from a general population of people who are just starting to work out, maybe those like those numbers may be a little confounding. Maybe they feel like there are two and really they're they could probably push themselves a little bit harder. But as we start finding ourselves in getting further in this training age, we should be able to dial in how we feel a little bit more precisely on, on that scale of recovery.
1: We're losing everybody. So, uh, what's your most outrageous opinion that you can bring up? <laughs> most outrageous <laughs> yeah, opinion? physical therapy wise or health wise.
0: I don't know. Most outrageous. Like
1: all this stuff hmm. we're saying is like super easy. You know, it's super easy to follow and it, it takes a long time. It's not, it, it's not that fancy program. It's not that thing that you're going to see on Instagram, but I mean, it's uh, the stuff that works.
0: Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to do that because the old saying goes back to like sex sells, right? Like it's like, it's gotta be that big fancy thing that's always selling what you should be doing. I'm trying to think like from a nutrition standpoint, the whole, you know, I gotta, you know, a lot of the things that I deal with are like the carbs are bad kind of thing when people are talking to me. I don't know. What are some of the big buzzword things that you, you feel like you, you hear in the industry a lot that, you know, people kind of get tied into?
1: I mean, I would say if we're going to stay on the nutrition, I mean, you have carnivore right now is really popular keto. So basically, I mean, carnivore, not eating any vegetables and you're just eating meat entirely, probably, probably some benefit if you're eating a ton of processed foods right now. But if you're getting a bunch of vegetables, you're getting all your vitamins, you're getting sunlight, probably don't need it. Yeah. Yeah. The whole, <laughs> the whole carnivore thing. Yeah, probably not. I mean,
0: I got a friend who's doing it and he feels great right now and he's lost a lot of weight, but I think you know it comes back to all these things, right? Like with, with carnivore or with keto or with fasting and all these different, like different avenues of dieting, right? Like what does it come back down to? It comes back to caloric control, energy in, and then, Hey, maybe that's why you lost some weight. Right. Or like, Oh, there, you know, I got a friend who's carnivore, but then he's going to the bathroom for, four weeks stuck on the toilet. And it's like, maybe we should mix in something else in your diet. And he goes, no, 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 This is just helping me empty out and I'm flushing things out of my body. And it's like, no, you're doing that. Your body's just kicking out all those fats and proteins that you're eating because you're not getting anything else to balance out your diet. You know, it's hard for me to get wrapped into these big like stick things because that's kind of who I've become is just like, how do we wash out the crap? And How do we find the base principles of how to make anything work? right? Base principles and working out, base principles and nutrition, base principles and sleep and recovery. Um, so it's, I've tried to kind of like shut myself out of all of these like fad diet things. I've even done it on like social media. I've just unfollowed all the things that kind of make me angry or feel like they're on like bad outside edges of nutrition and just kind of stick within the base principle things. Because at the end of the day, that's what works for everybody, you know, but it's a harder sell for people. So that's kind of the big thing to try and try and focus on.
1: Yeah. I like what you said too. um, you know, finding what, 10 or 20 people are all saying the same thing so what are those 10 people saying that's the same maybe they're all selling something different but hey we all talk about eating a lot of vegetables okay probably probably some truth to that and then what are the next the next thing that everybody kind of agrees on i think that's really good advice
0: Yeah, because, you know, you can watch like waves and populations of people going through like the Atkins diet, and then we go through keto, and then that falls off, and then we go through the carnivore, and then we go back to Jenny Craig, or this or that, and it's just, everybody's like, oh, this is the new thing, this is the new research, we've got to chase this, but at the end of the day, how are people losing weight between all of those different, you know, activities? They just lower their calories, and then the weight came off, right? Does it mean it's the healthiest? No, probably not, but just watching, you know seeing the waves and how things and seeing what stands the test of time is what I'm always going to fall back on. It's probably the the most efficient thing to follow, right? Because if we've been saying something for the past 100 years and we're still doing that same thing, then we need to kind of stay on that topic. And Maybe there is some merit to that, right? But if something spikes and gains popularity for a year and then we're not doing it a year later, maybe it didn't stand the test of time. And we need to kind of wash that out of our spectrum, right? You know, because We're always trying to evolve as humans in regards to everything that we do, whether it's better and nicer cars, better and nicer phones, uh, better workout programs, better nutrition habits. Like everything that we do is the scientific testing of let's try it. Let's see if it helps us out. If it does help us, we'll keep going with it and we'll try something else with that. If not, then we wash it off and we stop worrying about that. Right. So we're always doing this science test on everything that we have in our life. Right. And the things that withstand those tests and the things that we keep in our lives over this long period of time are the things that I want to have more of in my life. And I'll keep testing those until, hey, they may not work anymore or maybe they don't work for a certain population or maybe they didn't work a 100 times. And then we start throwing those things away. Right. And starting to narrow down our focus onto the the smaller, minute things that are really making an impact on our life instead of just having this fad thing that, you know, spikes for a year and then
1: we have to throw that thing away the thing that trips me out a little bit is technology like there's no science you know who has had a cell phone for 50 years like we don't we have no idea what's going to happen maybe everybody who has a cell phone and who has slept with it under their pillow is going to get cancer and it's like you can only do that research 80 years down the road 100 years down the road but I mean you can't get too wrapped up in everything like like how far do you kind of want to go down the rabbit hole
0: yeah, 100%. I mean, you can we can get concerned with all those kinds of things. And who knows? Maybe at the end of our lifetime, we all have like a left ear cancer and we're all because we've all <laughs> been sleeping on our phones this way. And, you know, maybe our kids' kids will make a decision like, hey, maybe we shouldn't put our phones next to our head. Maybe we just implant it into your head and we do this <laughs> or we change different things, right? But at the end of the day, like I think – the spike in technology and the phones and the internet has been like, we've seen this huge bump in evolution over the past 50 years that hasn't happened for thousands and thousands of years. And I think it is a good thing, right? Because now we've, we've increased our ability to communicate with people right all over the world. You and I are being able to do this over zoom. We would never even have done this unless you and I crossed paths at like that weightlifting meet. And we said, Hey, meet me, you know, if we're in the like, you know, old Western times and you want to do like a meet and greet interview with me, We would have had to be like, meet me on September 4th at this spot, and we're going to talk about this, right? But now you just got to send me a text and a message on Zoom, and here we are communicating, right? But the growth of information, the ability for us to communicate is always going to push us into a better direction. But, you know, same thing with everything that we do. We're going to evolve. We're going to find out things that didn't work. We'll push those things to the side, and we keep pushing forward. That's a human nature to always keep evolving and always keep pushing yourself for a better you.
1: Yeah, for sure. What made you get into physical therapy in the first place? So I always loved the training
0: aspect of when I was growing up, playing football, being in different sports, um, you know, basketball, track, all those fun things. I always enjoyed the training aspect a little bit more, right? Like I, I love the sport, right? But I always loved, you know, how we were conditioning and how we were working out. How could I get stronger? The the workout aspect of it, right? And then from there, I, I knew I wanted to get into some kind of sense of the medical field. I didn't want to go on to be like a doctor because when I was in high school, I was like, I'm not going to be smart enough to go on to med school and this and that. I'm not trying hard enough for all these things. But what is a medical field that I can still involve the training aspect, but still get to you know push myself on the medical side? And I think I found physical therapy was that way that I could blend the training side with the physical rehabilitation side and kind of make myself a career out of it. Um, and that's been something that since I've graduated school has been working with higher level athletes or people that are in a gym atmosphere, people that are driven more on the physical side of things has been where I've kind of pushed myself in regards to being able to blend the training side with physical therapy.
1: Do you think you've always had a want or desire to help people? Like were were you the kind of person who was helping your teammates out on the side or was this something that you kind of got into a little bit later?
0: Yeah, I feel like I wasn't always the, you know, I, I may not have always been like the best athlete, right? Like I was never like the strongest or the fastest or the, the the best, but what I was really good at in the beginning was understanding the grand scheme and the principles of like how to play the game and then how can I help other people get better? That way we can boost our team up, right? Like I was team captain from like a young age, went through high school team captain, got to college, was team captain of the football team. And it's just like I started to find myself – at every level of the game when i was in you know peewee football to high school to college falling into a very similar pattern right like my first two years wanting to be this great athlete athlete and i'm being like oh wait i'm a better role player and i'm a better if i start using my skills to communicate with my teammates and make them better right so i always kind of fell into this role of trying to help the others around me become better better players And I I started to realize that that a little too late, I think in my college career, I think it took me to my senior year to be like, Hey, this is, this is who I am. And this is how I'm going to better benefit other people around me. Right. And that kind of rolls into my training, physical therapy, because when you come into my sessions, it's not about me, you know, it's when you come in and try and get better, it's about how can I help you be a better version of yourself? Right. And I think that's kind of just fallen into who I've become on, you know, in life, in my work, when I train. I'm always about trying to make you a better version of yourself because that gives me joy in seeing other people exceed and kind of get past their their past expectations.
1: I think that's a gift, a gift that you have because, I mean, how many people are going to be professional athletes? Not a lot. How many people are going to be really high level at something? Probably not a ton, but if you can build up people to become better than you. And I think that's something, I mean, especially seeing coaching, I think a lot of coaches have a hard time kind of letting go of their – their athlete side. And when they do, they build up a bunch of athletes who are way better than they ever were. But it's kind of hard to let go of that ego to be like, hey, I'm going to try to build people instead of trying to build myself.
0: Yeah, 100%. And like, think, you know, something that really like, holds true to me that I think about a lot is like, when you got to like the end of your playing career, and you started like training better and eating better, all of us start thinking, man, I wish I knew this stuff 10 years ago, right? Because I could have been a hundred times better of an athlete, right? But all of us usually just say that, it falls to the wayside, and then we don't do anything about it, versus like, what I'm trying to do is like, hey, damn, I wish I knew this stuff. Now I want you to know this stuff at the point where I was 10 years ago, right? So how can I gift this high school athlete or this college athlete these things that I'm you know, learning about now that have really advanced my training or advanced my, my, you know, my physical health, how can I give you those things? So that way you can be a better version of yourself. And then eventually you'll take those things and you'll pass them on to somebody else, right? Because then that's how we can get a broader reach and a bigger group of people that we can impact is if I teach you something that I knew and then push you to push that on to other people, right? Cause now we can impact not just one person, but we can impact 10, 20, hundred of people with this information. Yeah.
1: I like that. I, I felt the same way. Like I, I started, I got the whoop when I was, um, maybe a junior or senior in college, but I actually started sleeping. I start, stopped playing video games till three in the morning. I was like, wow, I feel great. Like I, I'm so much stronger and I wish I would have done this way earlier in my playing career. Maybe I would have got a little bit further, but it, I mean, you learn the lessons when you're supposed to learn them. I probably, if I would have, if I would have learned it earlier, I probably would have just ignored it.
0: Yeah. hundred percent. I, I always make a joke. Cause I had a, a good college buddy that I used to train with. Cause we went to different schools. He went to our sinus, I went to widener, but every summer we would get together and train and he would do all the right things. Like he would eat the right way. He would, you know, sleep the right way, train the right way versus I would show up, train with him and I would go home and eat like a pack of hot dogs or something like that. Like I would eat like four, I literally would sit down and eat like four or five hot dogs on white bread. And that would be like my post training, like <laughs> nutrition. And then I would stay up till three in the morning. We would get up the next day and I would go lift. Right. So maybe a little bit of like genetics and size kind of pushed me through some of my training because everything else that I was doing was crap. Right. You know, and you kind of look back on that and you're like, wow, if I was a better version of myself or if I did some of the things that the way that I eat now, you know, I could have been a much better person. And I remember him, my training partner would say that to me back when I was doing this. He's like, Stu, if you just ate better could you imagine the kind of athlete that you would be or if you slept better? And I'm like, ha, 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 whatever, Nick. Like, this is just easy. And, you know, it's it's funny when you look back on it that, you know, they were right. You should listen to these people and kind of, I wish I knew those things that I knew now.
1: Have you lost a bunch of weight since you stopped playing football? Yeah, so when I finished
0: playing football, I was probably close to 255 to close to 260. Um, and then I picked up jujitsu the following year and I lost about 35 pounds within like a year of, of training Jiu Jitsu and not forcing myself to eat like I used to, right? Because my, my nutrition in college was, you know, shove a bunch of omelets in, in the morning, you know, for lunch, I might eat like, you know, hot dogs. And then for dinner, I'm having a little Caesars, like pizza crust or something like that. And it's just like, and then you'd be drinking six nights, six nights a week in college. Right. And then, but you're still working out and you know, you're getting, you know, getting big that way. But then once football ended and you can't, you still eat that way and you don't train the same way you do, you kind of blow up. Right. So I kind of found jujitsu was this way of getting in my, my conditioning a little bit better flipped the way that I eat. I met my wife right after I, I started playing college and she was very healthy in the way that she eats and everything just kind of fell in line and fell right off as soon as I finished up college ball, lost about 35 pounds.
1: That's awesome. You probably feel so much better too.
0: Yeah. I mean, the the engine that I feel like I have now in regards to conditioning is better than I've ever had in my whole life, right? Like when I was playing college sports or younger, I was always the guy that would either cramp up in the first quarter die out in like five ten plays you know it was very powerful for a short period of time but wouldn't last very long versus now i feel like my best trait is being able to last very long conditioning wise and you know trying to set myself up to live a longer healthier life has been the bigger goal and it just feels better i'm I'm starting to fall in love with the conditioning stuff doing it more often Um, and i feel so much better on a day-to-day basis versus in the past i would wake up headaches and feel gross and you know not comfortable just all the time versus now there's very minimal days where I, I don't feel good when I'm waking up, which is a blessing.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. How, so, how long have you been in Jiu Jitsu now? Training for
0: about four years at a place called Shark Tank in Milan, New Jersey, uh, under Bill Bonacue, uh, which is like a Vitor Shaolin um, chain. He's a world champ up in New, New York. But training for about four years, got my purple belt last spring. Um, loving every second of it. It's like I've fallen in love with a different sport all over again. I'm excited to do this for as long as I possibly can.
1: Yeah, I, I keep mentioning like how hard the belts are to get because I think people don't understand like you might think purple belt it's th- three or two belts after white but I mean that's a long time. It's a lot of skill. It's a it's a lot of doing the same things. It's a lot of doing stuff that's that's not easy or sexy but it's just constant repetition
0: yeah it's it's interesting because most people will get to that blue belt aspect and then just kind of fall off right because they've either lost the, the the love of training or they feel like they've learned enough or all this but to really kind of push yourself through all the belt chains it's having a discipline to humble yourself and always act like that you know they talk about like that white belt mentality right like always trying to stay fresh and always knowing that there's something to learn right every day with me I'm always trying to analyze whether it's a move I've seen a hundred times or something I've only done once, how can I make this better and how can I improve myself every single day? And it keeps it fresh, right? Because, you know, from a life and career standpoint, we're always trying to better ourselves with everything that we do. What's the next thing? What's this? And that carries over into the sport too. That's why I love the is because there's so many things to learn. So many different techniques you can learn so many different opponents that you can go against you're able to better yourself every time that you step on the mat, as long as you make that mindset that that's something that you want to do.
1: Do you compete as well?
0: Yeah, I've competed I've competed a couple of times. My, uh, my last year was a funny one. In last August, we went and I, I wanted to run a science experiment on myself and try one of those fighter weight cuts where they lose 20 pounds in a day. Um, I ended up doing a water cut for a full week. Um, I weighed in at 224. On Thursday night, weigh-in was Friday night. I was 224, dropped all the way down to 202 by the the weigh-in in one day. Um, got to weigh-in, was over by a pound, so I missed weight and had to stay at the regular weight. Refueled, got myself back on the horse, got into the first match, won, second match, I break my foot. So it was just like a, a real kick in the ass of, losing 20 some pounds, not making the cut, then getting there, breaking my foot and then just like hobbling me out of the arena like this weekend just sucked. (laughs) But, but it was a, it was a good, um, you know, humbling experience for me to you know change the way that I'm doing things, change my training and gear myself up for the next round of competing.
1: What was the science experiment? Like you just wanted to see how you felt? Yeah. So, I mean,
0: I've dealt with a lot of guys in the gym who are doing the old school, you know, wrestling cut of like hey let's just go for a run and sweat all this stuff out and let's like cut weight by just starving ourselves and trying to get to competition what i wanted to run was how can i cut weight in the shortest amount of time and how can i do it to a point where i'll feel ready and not lose a bunch of energy before my match right so i kind of looked into the ways that some of the big fighters do it how you can manipulate water and sodium and your food to be able to drop weight really quick Um, And what I had done was I had water loaded up for the whole week, right? So starting on Monday, I would drink a gallon, Tuesday, a gallon and a half, Wednesday, two gallons, cut out salts and carbs on Thursday. And then Friday, I just would sit in a bathtub, a hot bathtub, and then I would get in the sauna. So I would go back and forth between a really hot bath and a sauna for the whole day to try and drop those 20 pounds, um, which was the hardest thing I think I've ever done mentally was losing that much weight bar none. The hardest thing I've ever done was getting those last 10 pounds off first 10 pounds were easy. The last 10 pounds were, uh, you had to bring yourself to a pretty deep state mentally because all you're thinking about is food and water, not passing out, being uncomfortable for 12 hours. Um, and you know, it was, it was just one of the toughest things I've ever done and then get to competition. My goal was to see how quick I could refuel myself and doing it in the healthiest way possible. So, You know, eating as much as I could, drinking as much as I could, getting an IV. I felt really good by the next day. But my my big goal was just to see how those UFC fighters do it. Um, And I give them all the credit in the world for what they do because I would never want to do that again.
1: Was the injury because you were dehydrated or was it just a freak thing that happened?
0: It just ended up being a freak thing. I was going for like a a guy was standing. I ended up going for like an inverted like um, I had my feet up on his hips. and was going for an ankle lock. He fell back on it, and my foot kind of landed in a way where it just kind of like crunched my foot. Um, so it was just a freak accident. Ended up finishing the match, but got up and was just like, "Hey, it's not worth it." Got a broken foot. I gotta go to I gotta go to work next week. There's no reason for me to continue to fight.
1: That's interesting to do it on yourself, though. I think that that can be a powerful tool to at least know what people are going through.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, I wanted to kind of find a way that I could help benefit the other guys in the gym so that they weren't just like going and wearing trash bags and running. I wanted to see if I could find a smarter way to be able to do it. I feel like I did. Like if I were to do it again, I could lose 10 pounds in the night and feel perfectly fine. And it would have been fairly easy. I wouldn't recommend doing the, the 10% body weight. But, you know, my main goal was to just help teach these guys a better way to be able to do it. And I had to do it on myself. But I wanted to see what it felt like to go that deep. That way I could understand when somebody does have to go that deep or, you know, go through that process and I can kind of help prepare them because I have been there before.
1: Yeah, interesting. I always think about I mean everything that can go wrong during that time. Like you see it not a lot, but you see USC fighters who end up in the hospital during their weight cuts or they come out on fight night and they just look terrible. They gas out in the first round. I can't imagine yeah. doing that.
0: Well yeah, luckily luckily for me, it was a the, the competition that we had way in was Friday night competition wasn't until Sunday. So I had two full days to refuel. So really I wasn't as concerned about getting my energy level back up. If I had to fight the next night, like if I was in the UFC, that would have been fairly hard. I would have been pretty drained. Um, and I think the, the real kick for me was as I was like finishing up my way and I had an old friend who's a PhD exercise science who does this for a living, like just helps people lose weight and cut weight. And he's like, hey, did you do this? Did you do that? And I'm like, no, I just drank a bunch of water and now I'm sweating. And he goes, "Damn, dude, good luck. There's a better way to do this next time. Call me. <laughs> like that was like a real kick to me. That I was like, damn, there is so much more to this out there. There's levels to this stuff. And, you know, it was hard. But at the end part, I was fairly worried. There was a point where my wife could fit both of her hands around my waist because it was so dehydrated and thin. I'm laying on the floor, you know, about to pass out. I probably had like three more pounds to get off and the whole time her and my mother are freaking out because my mom's a nurse didn't want me to like go into liver failure, kidney failure. And you know, they're, they're telling me to stop. I get to that last like three pounds. And I say to my wife, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it. We don't have enough time. We have to get in the car in 20 minutes. And she goes, get your ass back in the tub. Uh, And for me, I was like looking for her to just be like, yeah, you're good. You can stop. Like, let's just, you know, let's, let's, save this for another day, but it was, it was a really not cool at that time, but it was a really cool moment to see my wife say, idiot, you've gotten this far. What are you doing? Get your ass back in the tub. And she picked me up, put me back in the tub and made me sweat it out for the last three pounds. Um, but I, I appreciate and love her for that because there was a point where I was looking for anybody to just help me escape there.
1: Yeah. I mean, finding the, the right people around you to, to help get you to that darker place.
0: Yeah, I I luckily I had a training partner who came over in the morning, hung out with me, you know, put his day aside, stayed with me, making sure I didn't pass out or fall asleep in the sauna, right? Like, luckily there was a a good support team of people around me. When I got to the weigh-ins, there was like an hour and a half line out the door. Luckily, I had a couple guys up front were like, "Hey, come up here." I lost my voice because my throat had closed up from dehydration. It was just, uh, luckily, I had a good support team of people that were like you know, getting me into the car, getting the food ready for me, hanging out with me while I was doing it, and then getting to the competition and pushing me to the front of the line. It was, you know, it takes a village to raise a child, and it, you know, it takes a village to raise a dumb science experiment like what I was trying to do.
1: (laughs) Do you feel like you need to do that as far as exercises that you're giving patients to? Are you testing everything out on yourself first?
0: I think you have to, right? Like to be able to talk on the things that you want to be able to prescribe, I feel like you have to have gone through it right now. There's like a certain aspect to that, right? Like maybe I work with high level Olympic athletes and I work with high level CrossFitters, but I've never been to the CrossFit games or never been in an Olympic lifting meet, but I have done all the movements that they've done, right? Because I want to be able to feel it. That way I can portray to you or teach you what I want you to feel, right? Like if I've never done it or I've never been through it or I've never felt it, I'm not going to be the best coach that I can possibly be. Right. Because there has to be some kind of aspect of me knowing what you're going through in order to help you get through it better. Right. So that was one of those things. I wanted to go through the weight cut. I wanted to see what those guys go through. That way I could speak on it instead of just reading a textbook and then spewing out the things I read in the textbook. Right. Go through it. That way you understand what your clients and patients
1: are going through. Yeah. I've kind of gone back and forth on that as far as when I was like looking for coaches when I was a little bit younger, I always thought, If I'm going to do CrossFit, I need the CrossFit coach who can do 10 unbroken muscle-ups, who can walk on their hands. And sometimes not the best. The best coaches aren't the people who can do every single movement. So, yeah, like do as much as you can. But, I mean, there's people who can teach muscle-ups really good who can't do their muscle-up themselves.
0: 100%. You think about like the best best coach right now in Brazilian jiu-jitsu would be John Danaher. Right. Smartest guy out there knows everything that there has to be about jujitsu, but he doesn't compete. He's not a competitive guy. Um, And he has his own thing where, like he said, I don't compete because I'm so anal about the way that I do things, and respect the game too much. So that's a guy there who very highly respectable. You want that guy in your corner no matter where you're at. But he was never that that high level competitor. Right. So there are aspects of it. But again, with him, he's done all the things he's trying to teach you and he understands it and he's delved into it and he's been around so many athletes who have. So he's immersed himself into the atmosphere. Right. But now if you had somebody who was just, you know, reading about jujitsu online and then trying to teach it to somebody, then, yeah, maybe you might it might be a little bit harder for them to make their way to the top. Right. But immersing yourself in it either physically or immersing yourself into the culture, being in the gym space like you talked about with the muscle up, you know. That's what's going to be the most important just making sure that you've become a student of the game and you've surrounded yourself with so many reps that You can be able to reteach that out to other people
1: It just comes down to caring. I think like the best coaches care the most They're doing research before before what they're teaching. They're trying to find even if they can't do it themselves They're trying to find other people who are really good at it listening to them, you know piecing together all this information where I think if you don't care about something, you're probably not going to be doing that.
0: Yeah, care about it and then surround yourself with a good mentor, right? Like find somebody who has been in the field before, who has done these things that you're trying to do. Find yourself a coach or mentor that has made all these mistakes to get to where they're at. That way they can... Eliminate the amount of mistakes that you need to make in order to get yourself there, right? Like it's just a speed shortcut for you to get yourself to the top by surrounding yourself with people who've been there before Have gone through the trials and tribulations and then can teach you how to avoid those things It's going to be your quickest way to be able to be at a higher spot as a coach as an athlete Whatever it is that you're trying to do
1: I love that. Um, I did I misread this on your social media I thought you were the one who had the neck injury, but I would like to kind of get into that um you were helping a guy who had a really bad neck injury get back into jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu. so I kind of wanted to go into you know, how that recovery process looked.
0: Yeah, so for him, what had happened was, um, so going back to like the relationship with him, so he used to live on my road. He was a really good friend, with, friend of mine, a little bit older than I was. He was my high school football coach growing up. Um, I always kept in contact with him, and then when I had finished college, I came back and coached with him. Right? So we were both coaches at, at our high school together. Then he had gotten me into jujitsu. So he was the first one who brought me. Um, he used to be a wrestling coach. So he's had all this experience in, in wrestling and jujitsu. He brings me. He's the first one to get me into jujitsu. Right, And then we've always stayed close friends, training partners throughout the whole thing. Um, so what had happened was he was an open mat. He was going for a takedown in the gi, picked somebody up in a hip toss, and his feet slipped out from under him, and he landed with the guy on his back on his neck. Right, So landed with chin tucked on the base of his neck with another guy behind him. And immediately what had happened was he felt like a huge rush into his hands, into his feet. He's laying there, he's looking at his hand, trying to see if it can move and it wasn't moving. Right. And immediately everybody there was in the best, he was in the best possible position. He could have been because they flipped him on his back, stabilized his neck, didn't let him get up, called the paramedics, stabilized him, rushed him to a local hospital. The local hospital said, hey, we shouldn't do this. They rushed him off in a, in a helicopter to a better hospital. Um, the trauma doc decided not to do surgery on him. They waited for a specialist. Like all the right things happened for this guy because what had happened was he had two vertebrae that just kind of slipped off each other and he had a complete spinal cord injury or he would have if it just slipped a little bit more. So he had pressure on the spinal cord. Both of his vertebrae were slipped off of each other. They ended up doing a, um, they stabilized his neck, put some plates and screws in there, kept everything tight. Um, and what, you know, it was a very hard moment for me because I knew the severity of the incident and I had a close relationship with him and I knew how south this could have gone, but what the, tr- the, the training process was right in the beginning was getting him home, getting him comfortable, protecting his neck, slowly kind of reintegrating him back into life to be able to hold his kids. You know, the first thing that we, we weren't thinking of was how can we get him back to jujitsu or how can we get him back to training? It was how can he lay in bed and sleep better? Put his contacts in and hold his baby in a in a month or two, right? Like those were the big things that we kind of did with the training. Um, it, it was it was it was very hard to come in and see a guy who would kick the hell out of anybody in jujitsu to all of a sudden in a neck brace, looking broken, not able to lift his arms, and slowly bring him back into a point where he is today. Of back to destroying everybody on the mat a year later. It's actually a year later today, which
1: is pretty cool. Wow, that's awesome. Um,
0: Yeah, it was a, a very personal case to me, right? Because I had a lot of personal involvement in it too, but the hardest part for me as a coach was going in there and separating myself personally from it, right? Like going in there and trying to treat him like he would be another client, right? Like not trying to get emotionally upset seeing him not be able to roll over on the couch or not be able to like, you know, hug his wife. Um, and, and trying to just separate it. Like, Hey, come on, Mike, get your ass up. These are things that we have to do. We got to go here. We got to do this and trying to treat him almost like he was a client of mine instead of like being, you know, falling into this feeling bad and getting upset with him. Right. And I think that's kind of what helped this training recovery process even more was his driving determination. Um, the way that we did the training, um,
1: and the the support system that you had around them. Do you feel like that's, like, what's the balance between, you know, one, you obviously want people to get better, but you're probably going to have to push them outside of their comfort zone. So is that a delicate balance in physical therapy where maybe not everyone you work with is going to be your training partner, your best friend, but who really... I mean, you have to care about people to be in this business. So like yep. the the balance between caring about people and also pushing them to do stuff that maybe hurts or maybe is uncomfortable in the moment, but you kind of have to get them to do it.
0: Yeah. Well, you got to find that continuum of where people are, right? Because sometimes you'll see people that don't want to push themselves too far and you have to bring them closer to the middle and push them a little bit more versus with Mike. He was somebody who, if I didn't tell him to slow down, he would be out there trying to lift weights a week after, right? So I had the him back in and be like hey let's find closer to the middle right so I feel like that's the harder balance is trying to meet people where they are and bring them either closer to the middle or closer to one side of the spectrum whatever's going to benefit them right so I think you know that would probably be the hardest part is just meeting people where they are and kind of taking them closer to that that middle balance so for him it was just hey slow it down. Everything needs to be easy for this first month or two, right? We're not going to go crazy. We're not going to lift all these heavy weights. You're not going to go out there and, you know, try and lift the barbell over your head. I'm going to put the reins on you, and this is all that you're going to do, right? Versus for some other people, you may look at them and they're not pushing themselves hard enough, and you have to give a little bit tougher love, or you have to change your tone. Um, You have to push them a little bit more and not be their friend and try and make them do things that are a little bit more uncomfortable, right? But That's the the best part about being a coach is being able to evaluate the person in front of you and kind of take them to where their goals are from where they're at.
1: Yeah, man. I love it. I think this was beneficial for, I mean, somebody who's trying to get into the field of physical therapy, but also everyday person. If you're trying to find stuff out on social media, find a good coach, find a good physical therapist. And uh, I think if you do those things, you're going to have a really good, good, healthy life. Yeah,
0: man. Just make good connections with people. Biggest advice would just be, Be you, one, that we talked about, right? Be genuine, be honest with people, right? Like just be yourself and be who you are and just build good connections with everybody around you, right? And it'll always push you a little bit further in life, right? Uh, I think connections, regardless of what field you are, whether you're an electrician, a plumber, physical therapist, a coach, being able to talk with people, being able to have conversations, being open to new ideas is always what's going to push you further in life.
1: All right, so we got to work on getting you to say some more outrageous stuff. So you get a bigger social media following, but uh, (laughs) where, where can people find you if they want to follow you on Instagram?
0: Uh, I am dr. Alex Stewart, uh, on Instagram. Um, also currently working for precision performance, physical therapy. I'm a clinic director in the Garnet Valley, uh, location. Um, you can find me there.
1: Awesome, man. Well, thanks for coming on. This was fun.
0: Yeah, man. A lot of fun. Uh, I'm excited for you guys. And, uh, Definitely chat soon. I appreciate this opportunity.